Hey everyone, Pastor Dave here. Welcome to Cross Point Church's virtual service for Memorial Day weekend 2020. And uh, Memorial Day weekend has snuck up on us and uh, tomorrow we're going to be getting together. I don't know how you celebrate Memorial Day, but let's just not forget what Memorial Day is all about. It's about um, those men and women who gave their lives to protect our freedoms. And we are especially grateful this weekend as we know what it's like to have those freedoms removed, don't we? For even a short time, it makes a big difference. And so we're looking forward to being able to get back together again. But before we do, um, I hope you have a meaningful Memorial Day. And uh, however you celebrate Memorial Day, I hope that it's memorable for you and um, we remember what it's all about. I'm actually coming to you this morning from another place in downtown West Allis. This is Freeze's Candy Shop. This is a place that's been family owned and operated since 1928. And you gotta hear this. Uh, Wendy, who owns the shop with her husband, has worked here since she was 16 years old. Uh, Wendy and her husband, Mike, have three kids. They all work here. The Journal Sentinel did a story on them earlier this month, and I'm very thankful to be here today. Uh, everything in this shop is handmade right here in the store. They use an old-fashioned copper kettle. They also have heavenly roasted nuts. And we're heavenly people, right? So that sounds like a good fit. So if you go to freezescandy.com, you can order online. They have curbside pickup. And they're also open uh, Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, excuse me, Tuesday through Saturday they're open. Uh, they're closed Sunday and Monday. But I want to encourage you to come on out to Freezes this week and get some comfort comfort food. They're located on 73rd and Greenfield Avenue right in downtown West Dallas. Uh, some of their favorites are fairy food. They have uh, chocolate-covered graham crackers, homemade fudge, and all kinds of other handmade um, creations. So stop by this week and let's keep supporting our locally owned businesses during this season. And uh, Wendy has actually offered for anyone from Cross Point, if you mention Cross Point Church, she'll throw in a couple pretzel sticks, chocolate covered pretzel sticks too. So that's pretty cool that she was willing to do that. So I'm thankful for uh, Freeze's Candy Shop this weekend to open up their place so that I could give you uh, the message today. And every week we're talking about different comeback stories and some of the greatest comeback stories in history. And I want to start by telling you a little bit about one of my favorite comeback stories, which has to do with the Lego company. As you know, my family are huge fans of Legos. And if you have ever played with Legos, just do me a favor and raise your hand right now. I'll bet everyone watching right now has played with Legos. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl or a mom or a dad, we have all played with Legos. And Lego has become the world's biggest toy company with annual sales over $5 billion. But some of you might not know that back in 2003, they were pretty close to declaring bankruptcy. Through too much innovation, they found themselves in a huge hole. They were $800 million in debt. They had created too many sets with too many different pieces, terrible TV shows, um, all kinds of new things going on, too many new things going on. They were trying to keep up with all the changes to kids' lives. And the biggest change was, of course, electronic toys. And as you know, Legos, they don't need electricity or batteries. They're simple. Um, but the company felt pressure to try and keep up with technology. So they tried cheating, uh, sorry, creating all these new experiences for their customers. And it almost ruined the company. So how did they get out of that hole? Well, they, they started a campaign called Back to the Brick. And they just decided to keep it simple and do what they do best, which is creating simple toys that allow kids to create and imagine. 
they, they took the design and creative control out of the hands of, of young uh, design geniuses and they put them into the hands of hardcore adult fans and even kids. They created the Star Wars series of sets, they drastically reduced the number of different pieces they were making each year, and they eventually created the Lego Movie franchise, which as you know has been a huge success. And today they are back on top as one of the world's most recognizable brands. And if you'd like to hear more about the fascinating history of Legos, uh, there's a great show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, and Season 2, Episode 3 is all about uh, the history of Legos. It's a fascinating story, a great comeback story. And today, of course, we're going to look at another amazing comeback story from the Bible. And it's a story familiar to most of you, probably maybe even all of you. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Now, who were the judges? Judges, these, the judges uh, in the Bible were not, they didn't wear robes and, and sit behind a big elevated bench with a wooden hammer. This wasn't a, they didn't hold a political or legal office. These were people called by God to save Israel from their enemies. So I just want to give you some background. You know, last week we told the story of Joseph, his, his comeback story, the comeback kid. And uh, after, after Joseph, Joseph and the Israelites arrive in Egypt, they grow and they grow and they grow and eventually, as many of you know, they become slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And then of course along comes Moses and he delivers Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt and uh, Joshua takes them into the promised land. And after Moses and Joshua come the judges. And so the Israelites are in the promised land, which is a great thing, but there was a problem. There were already people there. And God told the people of Israel to kick those people out. Why would God do that? Was God prejudiced? Is he mean? No. It was because God knew that for the Israelites to stay true to their unique identity, they would have to live separately from these other people who didn't know God. And as you can imagine, kicking these other people groups out of their homeland was a very hard, very long, and very costly process. And eventually Israel just decided to, they just basically kind of gave up and decided to let all these other people groups stay. They chose to coexist with everyone else. And the price of coexistence was huge. And here's why. When they started living with everyone else, they started acting like everyone else. They learned that it's much easier to be like everyone else than it is to be like God. And so they were marrying other kinds of people with uh, other beliefs about God and other worldviews. And the worst part is they were worshiping other gods and they were in danger of losing their privileged identity as the chosen people of God. I bet most of you have felt that tension before, that pressure to be like everyone else. And it's very easy to give into that pressure. And that's the path that most people choose. But if you want to know God, and if you want to be the person that God has called you to be, guess what? It's not gonna be easy, and you will stand out. You will be different. And being different can make you feel exposed or even scared. And if you feel that way because of your faith, that's a good sign that you are doing what God wants and living the way that God's called you to live. But this generation of Israelites didn't want to be different. They wanted to blend in. In fact, the last verse of the book of Judges uh, sums it up best. It says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right. In their own eyes and you know what this this mindset of just doing whatever feels right to you is very common today in our modern-day world right uh, there's a, um, re a religious 
a religion professor at uh, Berkeley, Jerome Baggett, and he said this about spiritual people. He said, they're saying, yes, I want to have a connection to the sacred, but I want to do it on my terms, terms that honor who I am as a discerning, thoughtful agent and that affirm my day-to-day life. Now, he's talking about about a lot of everyday people today, people who might believe in God, but they don't want to stand out. They don't want to offend anyone. So a lot of people create this sort of hybrid approach to finding God. It's God on my terms. And that's what a lot of people are chasing, is God on my terms. And it doesn't work. So here's the pattern that emerges in the book of Judges. This is what happens over and over. God's people do bad things because they've chosen God on my terms, and that leads them to do things that they regret. God allows them to suffer for that and be conquered and oppressed by an enemy. And then the people cry out to God for help. And God sends a judge to deliver them. So throughout the book of Judges, there are 12 judges in all, and probably the most famous is Samson. And Samson has an amazing comeback story. Samson was unique. He had a special calling from God to be a Nazarite. And this meant that uh, he couldn't drink any alcohol. He couldn't even eat grapes or raisins. He couldn't have anything from the fruit of the vine. He couldn't uh, eat any unclean foods, which would require a great deal of self-control and discipline. And as many of you know, he couldn't shave his, he couldn't cut his hair, he couldn't shave. So he had long hair and a long beard. And once he was born, his parents prayed an amazing prayer. And what they said to God was, God, show us how to raise our son. What do you want him to be? What should his life be like? What, what kind of work do you want him to do? What a countercultural prayer that is. And, and God answers their prayer. But Samson's life does not go according to his parents' plan. And parents, you should know that if you ask God for help to raise your child and to, for God to show you how to raise your child and for God to turn your child into the person, the, the, you know, the young man or young woman God wants them to be, their life is probably not going to go according to your plan. But God's plan is always better than your plan. So for example, when Samson's probably in his late teens, he sees a Philistine girl that he really wants and so he goes to his dad, he says, get her for me. Get that Philistine girl for me. And uh, something you should know about the Philistines is that they were, the, they were Israel's closest and most dangerous enemies. They dominated the Israelites economically, militarily, and even spiritually. And so Samson's parents don't like this at all. They don't want anything to do with this. And uh, so Samson goes ahead anyway, and he's on his way to her house one day and, uh, I, I, to see her. And a young lion came at him out of the fields and attacked him. And immediately the Lord gave Samson power. And the author says that he tore this lion apart with his bare hands. And it, it wasn't even that difficult for him. He didn't even tell anyone about it. And then sometime later, as he's going down the same road to his now fiance's house, they're, they're going to be married. He looked aside, he sees the carcass of this lion, and there's a beehive with honey inside, which he scoops out with his bare hands and he eats it. You know, just a little snack for the journey, I guess. And so Samson's on his way. He gets to his bride's house. And ancient weddings were a huge celebration. Tons of food and wine lasted about a week. It was like one huge uh, wedding and honeymoon all rolled into one. And uh, so Samson's at his, at his wedding. And apparently he liked riddles because there's quite a few riddles in the book of Judges. And during the wedding reception, he makes a bet with a bunch of guys, I think some 30 guys, and he says, if you can answer this riddle within the seven days of the feast, 
I'll give you each a new garment. Maybe it was like a new suit or something like that. And if you can't give me the answer, you will each have to give me a new garment. And here's the riddle. Out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. I don't know if you know the answer to the riddle yet, but for three days, these guys scratched their heads. They couldn't figure it out. And on the fourth day, they went to Samson's new wife and they say to her, if you don't get the answer from Samson, we're going to burn your house down with you and your family inside. So Samson's wife starts nagging him relentlessly, just sobbing and whining. You hate me. You must not love me. You won't tell me the answer to your riddle, please. And so for a whole week, she's just crying and nagging. And I've heard some you know, bad honeymoon stories, but this sounds like the worst. And on the last day of their honeymoon, Samson finally gives in and tells her the answer. So of course, these men go to Samson on sunset on the seventh day, and they say to him, What's, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? They figured out the riddle. Well, they were gifted, the, the answer, weren't they? And Samson is enraged. First, he says to these guys, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. He obviously doesn't think too highly of his new wife. And then he goes into one of the five major cities of the Philistines. He kills 30 men. He strips them naked. He gives their clothes to the guys who solved the riddle. And he then goes back home to live with his parents. While this is happening, his father-in-law, seeing as he went home back home to live with his parents, gives his new wife to Samson's best man. A little later, Samson goes back to see his wife, but her dad won't let him in. He tells Samson, I was convinced you hated her, so I gave her to your best man. Samson goes into another rage. This time he burns down the Philistines standing fields of grain and their vineyards, their olive groves. And when the Philistines heard what happened, they went to Samson's wife, they went to her house and burned it down with the whole family inside. At this point, Samson decides to go away to live in a cave. And the Philistines are not done. They, they get an army together to find him. And, and the men of Judah, which are Samson's own people, 3,000 men uh, of Israel or Judah go to Samson and they say, look, enough is enough. We're giving you over to the Philistines. They bind his hands with two new ropes. They take him into the camp of the Philistines. And as the Philistine army is approaching and shouting, because they think they finally bested their enemy. Sam, uh, the Spirit of God fills Samson again. He snaps those ropes off like they're string. He finds the jawbone of a donkey and he kills close to a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. And then he says this, with a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. You know what he's doing? He's making a joke. He's basically saying, with a donkey, I've made donkeys of them. And you could probably substitute another word for donkey if you want to get closer to the original meaning. And at this point, I want to just point something out to you. This is a man of faith that we're, that we're reading about. God is with him. And that probably sounds a little strange to you based on the kind of man this is, right? He's Samson has already broken his Nazarite vow. He eventually violates every major Nazarite vow. He drinks excessively. He touches dead bodies. He sleeps with several uh, Philistine women, most of them not his wife. He, uh, he eventually allows his hair to be cut. 
This is a severely flawed leader. He, he's a leader in Israel. He is a passionate man. He's, got, he's a man of excess. He's out of control. He's got lots of energy, but not a lot of wisdom. He's driven by sensual pleasure. He's an angry, violent avenger. He's like the original Hulk. So Samson, it's, it's clear to us that Samson is very flawed, but he's also called and gifted by God to save Israel. So how do we put those two sides of Samson together? He has this incredible strength, but he also has these terrible weaknesses. He has a dark side. And before we get to that, I have to tell you how Samson's life ends. I've always said, I've always said it's more important how you finish than how you started. We, we see that over and over again in the Bible. And uh, towards the end of uh, Samson's life, we believe, Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. And she's in the pocket of the Philistines, and they use her to get to Samson. And just like Samson's late wife, she wears him down. She nags and nags and nags until he finally gives up the secret to his strength. And as some of you already know, here's the secret that he told her. If you shave my head, my strength will leave me. So she goes and tells her Philistine friends who are going to pay her a pretty price for giving Samson up. They somehow get him to sleep. They shave his head. And then towards the end of Samson's story, we read this. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. And now Samson is the one who's treated like a donkey. And how did Samson go from being the most feared man to the most despised man in Israel? Well, here's how we could sum it up. Samson traded his spiritual privilege for sensual pleasure. And he did this over and over again throughout his life. And every time he did it, it led to conflict and chaos. And whenever we do it, the same thing happens. Whenever we trade our, you know, our, our spiritual privilege for sensual pleasure, God introduces conflict and chaos into our lives in order to wake us up and bring us back. Now, the story isn't over. I told you this was a comeback story. So, so here's, here's how the story ends. In Judges chapter 16, verse 22, we're given a little clue of what's to come. The writer says, but before long, and this is while he's in prison, before long, his hair began to grow back. And one day, uh, they bring Samson out of the prison for some entertainment. He's led into the temple of Dagon, which was the, the chief Philistine god. Thousands of Philistines, and all, including all their leaders and politicians, are gathered there to make fun of Samson. And then Samson did something that changed the outcome of his life. Samson prayed, and this is what he said. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. O oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. As soon as Samson was done praying, he had a young servant who had led him into the temple, place his hands on two of the temple pillars that were near him, and he pushed against those pillars with everything that he had, and the entire temple came crashing down on all of the people including Samson. And in the last uh, verse of this chapter, Judges 16, 30, 
we read, so he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And at the very end of this uh, chapter, it says, Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. I mean, all the events I just told you about cover like a few weeks. But Samson served God's people for 20 years. So that means there's a lot about Samson's life we don't know. But here's what we do know. Was Samson called by God? Yes. Did he deliver his people? Yes. Was he a great leader? No. Was he flawed? Yes. Did he fail? Yes. Was he a man of faith? Yes, he was. So just like last week, I want to ask you two big questions about this story. First of all, what does this narrative have to do with Jesus? That's, that's the first question we have to ask because as we know, uh, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It, it points us forward to Jesus who fulfills all the promises. And so here's one way to summarize Samson's story. Here's how we could sum it up. He marries a Philistine woman. He makes a bet with a bunch of desperate men at his wedding. The stakes are high. They cheat to find out the answer to the riddle. So in retaliation, Samson kills 30 men. In retaliation, the father of Samson's new wife gives her to his best man. In retaliation, Samson burns down the grain fields. In retaliation, they burn down his wife's house, killing her and her whole family. In retaliation, Samson kills a thousand Philistine men, Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey. In retaliation, they capture him and gouge out his eyes and throw him into prison. And in retaliation, Samson brings down the house, their house of worship, killing thousands of Philistines at one time. Samson dies retaliating. His whole life was about retaliation. But Jesus' life was not. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, verses 22 and 24, Peter gives us an incredible summary of Jesus' life and his death. He says he never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So listen. Samson died to save Israel from the Philistines. He died saving them from the Philistines. But Jesus died to save us from a much greater enemy, our own sins. And, and Samson, like all the judges and all the kings and all the prophets, was flawed. They all failed. They all deviated from the path. Jesus is the only one, the only judge, the only deliverer, the only king who never sinned, the only one who's worthy to deliver us from our greatest enemy, our greatest problem in this world, and that's sin. Our greatest threat today is not the economy, it's not politicians, it's not a virus, it's not even death. Our greatest enemy is sin. And Jesus is the only one who went to war against sin and won. He's the only one to personally carry our sins in his own body. He's the only one who could ever deliver us from the power of sin. So Samson's story makes us long for a better Savior and a better judge. And it's Jesus. So what does this narrative have to do with us? What does Samson have to do with us? And here's what I want you to remember today. Failure is not final. 
failure is not final. You know, even though Samson had traded his calling from God for cheap pleasures, he still had something. He had faith. And in Hebrews 11, in the New Testament, uh, we're, it's, it's, Hebrews 11 is this chapter that talks about all of these great men and women of faith. And guess whose name shows up? It's Samson. Uh, Samson is one of those great men of faith that's part of God's big redemption story. And if there's room for Samson on that list of people, there's room for you and there's room for me. So I want you to remember today that God remembers you. He remembers you when you're in your darkest moment. And even if you've hit rock bottom, one prayer, one act of faith can change everything. No matter how dark things are right now, you can turn to God and humble yourself and just ask him for strength. Because God uses flawed people. God uses flawed leaders like me. God, God uses even our, our worst failures. He can turn them into good. And only God can do that. You know, God doesn't wait for people to get their act together before he calls them. He calls us as we are. He uses us as we are. He loves us as we are, not as we should be. So I want you to remember today that faith is the key to a great comeback. And after all of Samson's failures, he was remembered for his faith. He wasn't remembered for the violence or the vengeance or the rash decisions and the foolish gambles that he made. He was remembered for his faith. And that's what I want to be remembered by. What about you? Wherever you're watching from this morning, I'd love to ask you all to stand up where you are as I give you the benediction from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this awesome passage. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you, many of you, in person next Sunday. Have a great Memorial Day.